You might not know this, but this is the bravest move I've ever made as a priest. <laughs> no notes. No notes. For 36 years, I have been celebrating the first Sunday of Lent. And for each of those times, I really think that there's been a different insight, a new insight into what it means. It's, Lent's probably one of those mis, most misunderstood periods in the church's life, perhaps because as children we, we clung on to the, the giving up, the sacrifice, all of that type of thing, and we were held before us that wonderful opportunity to, to be better people when Easter arrived. So it was a kind of time of great discipline. But each year... I look at it again and say, how am I going to use this precious time? About 24 or 5 years ago, I had an experience that uh, made me feel rather uncomfortable about Easter. And I'd like to relate it to you. It was in a, a parish uh, where I used to be the assistant pastor. The wonderful name of this parish was called Surface Paradise. And it was. It was a, a wonderful beachside place and... Um, and the churches would be full up. It's a holiday place, and the churches would be full up. And a wonderful lady called June Gladfield, who's no longer with us on earth, but with us in spirit. But June Gladfield was one of those cheery, cheery ladies that every church needs. She was there at everything, and she would just hover around and make sure everything was taken care of. Now, June would have been one of those people. I need to tell you something about June's physical appearance, because it does make a difference. June was what we would call a, a larger-formed lady. My, my wonderful grandmother would have referred to her as a fuller-figured woman. My grandfather, who came from a ranching background, would have referred to her as beef to the ankles. <laughs> so you kind of get a general idea of, of this lady, but very, very cheery and, and jolly lady. And June was standing at the front door as she was coming into church and she said, Oh, isn't it a great day? I love the first Sunday of Lent. Why, June, why do you love the first Sunday? Well, she said, I use it as a time to get my figure back again. <laughs> I like to think that my waist will return to its normal size. Now, there's an opportunity for me to have said, Go for it, June, good on you. This is wonderful. You'll be a better person for it. You know, congratulations and anything I can do to support that endeavour. No. No. This mouth <laughs> said, well, you better hurry up, June. There's only 40 days. June and I were never close after that. <laughs> and I realised later that one thing would have helped both June and myself if I'd thought of it. If both of us had kept our mouths closed a little bit longer, we might have both solved our problem. I then realised that the ability to belittle people, to make them feel smaller, was something that... I had to keep under control. It just happens too easily sometimes. You do it trying to get attention or be a bit smart in front of other people. 
and yet you sometimes do so at the expense of others. So I then had to do a whole recalculation about how I was going to use these 40 days. And that was going to be my thing. If I wasn't going to be giving up a particular article or item, I was going to be taking on another discipline that in some way was not just going to hopefully make June feel a better person, but make me a more controlled and more disciplined person. So these 40 days, and let me tell you, they go very quickly when you're working on a particular task. These 40 days for us now are something like a reenactment of the 40 days that uh, Jesus was in the desert. That wonderful, small, very small piece of Mark's gospel there contains so much riches in it. Three, possibly four verses out of his first chapter speaking about him going out into the desert with the wild beasts. Now, if you didn't stop for a minute and think about those, the metaphor for those beasts, you might miss the intention of what he's saying. Luke's a little, a little fuller in what he's talking about when he refers to that temptations in the desert, but it's the wild beasts that you and I kind of are confronting on a daily basis. They've kind of got subtle talons, these beasts. Their roar is alluring. The attraction to doing something comfortable and something easy. Something that might elevate you at the expense of somebody else. We get quite friendly with these wild beasts throughout the rest of the year. We think that we need them to make ourselves feel a little better. We need them to make sure that we're feeling very confident and that we're able to stride out into the world. Well, I find it rather consoling that Jesus had to confront them as well. Jesus out there confronting, I suppose, what it was that in, within his humanity that made him wonder, am I actually doing the right thing here? Am I called to this which I am feeling within myself? Have I got it right? Have I understood that I am really, really close to God? When he said, you are my beloved son, listen to him. Did I hear that correctly? So it's something about Jesus having a little bit of lacking in confidence about whether he may or may not have been doing the right thing. And that's why he needed to have this experience away from all of the other things he was doing to work out for himself, where's the path from now on? And so he confronted the wild beasts of his humanity. And gee, they can be savage particularly if we've convinced ourselves that we need them rather than the fact that we need to confront them. Now, I'd like to think that's what he was doing. And as I say, Luke kind of points it out a little bit more. He's confronted with his hunger. His, when the devil says to him, you know, do you bow down before me and I can, I'll give you all of these things? I'd have been bowing down really quickly, I have to tell you, if I'd had that particular promise offered to me. So what do we do about it? We're confronting these these things in this 40, these 40 days, how do we actually address it? How do we come out of these 40 days ready to take on that risen Christ and say, I'm really happy to share in that with you? Once again, Mark, dear, dear Mark, presents us with the solution. In that simple phrase, he, Jesus goes back and spends time with John the Baptist and he says, almost repeating things that, that the Baptist has said before, repent and believe the good news, believe in the gospel. Now let's just hold on to those for a minute. Repent. Rethink. 
revisit, remind, recover, and forgive. Those things are always part of the repentance. This turning around from where I've been to ready to take on the next few steps. That's my understanding of repentance. I don't think it necessarily means a complete radical change of life. In fact, I like to think that repentance might mean subtle tweaking of things. I've never met you before and I'm pretty sure that I'm talking to people who are really pretty good people, very good people, at least trying to be. You're here today for a start. And that's, that's a really big plus. So I do know that maybe some tweaking needs to happen in our life. Adjusting, adjusting, doing noble things well. Because that's what I think the second half is saying here. Believe in the good news. Repenting is looking back at where we've come from and believing, as Father Andre was telling us during the week, is a thing that's looking forward. Moving into this belief that says, okay, I believe in the good news. What does that mean to say, I believe in the good news? It means to say, I take actions according to what it tells me. I put myself in the front line and accept that sometimes it's not the easiest way to walk. It's not the easiest journey to make. But I believe in it so much that I'm not going to fall into too many troubles or mistakes because of it. That's what believing in the good news is. Now I can sit here and say to you, well I'm a great believer in the good news and then walk straight out there and belittle somebody or speak about somebody in gossip or whatever and you're going to look and say, that guy doesn't believe in it, he told us he did but I think his actions speak louder than his words. And that's why we need to be incredibly careful that we don't profess a faith that we're not prepared to step up and be part of. The other aspect of all of this, of course, is we don't need to trumpet it. We don't need everyone to know that we are people who are repenting for who we are. Do it very subtly. Don't let that right hand know what the left hand is doing. We don't need to know what each other is doing to change their lives. The important thing is that we know that we're working on it and that there's a God who's listening and saying, I'm ready to help you in whatever way I can. Now I'm not actually able to go back and repent of June, although I'd like to think today she might be listening to say, oh well all right, I'll forgive you. But I've met many June since. Opportunities in some way of saying, I believe that you are one of God's precious ones and the way that I will display that is that I will speak kindly to you. I will encourage you in your endeavours. I'll make you want to know that God has listened to you as well as I. Do noble things well. Do them gently and softly. Be forgiving of yourself and of others. That to me is repenting. The believing in the good news is the gift at the end of it.